0: Let's turn now to God's Word, to Psalm 78. We'll read verses 1 through 16. Psalm 78. Page 578 in your Pew Bibles, page 578. Let's read verses 1 through 16. a muskeel of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites armed with the bow turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan, he divided the sea and let them pass through it. And he made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Especially verse 4 this morning. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done looking at that especially the context of verses one through eight this morning may God bless the reading and the hearing of his word brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ Psalm 78 is a muskiel and a muskiel means a teaching poem a teaching poem It's a mesquil of Asaph, and Asaph is one of the musicians that David appointed to teach Israel to give thanks to and praise the Lord. He was a prophet musician. And this song that Asaph wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit addresses one of the great Problems of Israel's history and in all church history. You know what the greatest problem is in all church history? Unbelief. The people of God turning away from the Lord, turning away from the Bible, turning to idols. Verse 8 mentions three things rebellion, not being steadfast in their hearts, disloyalty, and unfaithfulness. Unbelief. And there is a solution that God has provided to that problem. And Psalm 78 gives us that solution. Teach your children the glorious deeds of the Lord so that they will not forget God but set their hope in Him. That's the solution that God has provided against that perennial problem of unbelief in the church, turning away from God. Teach your children the glorious deeds of the Lord so that they will not forget God but set their hope in Him. It's really alarming how quickly unbelief can set in in the church community i think of judges too how there's a generation that saw firsthand the great deeds of the lord in the plagues on egypt the crossing of the red sea being fed in the wilderness crossing jordan river destroying jericho god creating or giving them the promised land and then as soon as Joshua and the elders who saw these things died, there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. You say, how could that be? Judges two ten. there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. After all that? So let children hear the mighty deeds which God performed of old. That's what we want to look at this morning. This is God's way. Of making sure that unbelief does not settle into the congregation, into the church. It's that important. You say, who am I? I'm just a parent. I'm just a grandparent. You're God's teacher. And through you, the message of Jesus Christ is passed on. And through the Holy Spirit, that message gets into their hearts and lives and saves them and makes them a strong generation. Do not underestimate God's calling in your life and his plan for you, a weak saint. We want to see three things here. The teacher, who's the teacher? Secondly, the story. What's the story we are to pass on? And what's the point, thirdly? Who's the teacher? Look at Psalm 78, verses two through four. I will open my mouth in a parable, says Asaph. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our, here we go, our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them, we the sons, will not hide them from their children. Our sons are our father's children is the point it means we will not hide them from the grandkids of the grandpas or the grandchildren of the grandparents. Meaning that every new generation is a transitional generation. Every set of parents is a transitional generation. And God intends the good news of Jesus to be passed on from grandparents to grandkids through fathers and mothers. So we will not hide them from their children, the children of our fathers, the grandchildren of our fathers, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Again, verse five, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded, what? Our fathers to teach to their children. He gave us a testimony. He gave us a law or a Torah, a teaching. And he commanded our fathers to teach that to their children. So, the long and short of it is Webern, you're the teacher. Fathers, you're the teacher. Our fathers told us the true story of God and his saving works. And we will not hide it from their children, but tell them. The father. But in the Bible, always together with the mother. When the Bible mentions the father, that includes the wife given to him to be at his side, to support them in his calling. Him in his calling, it's a teaching team. Listen, for example, to Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching." Teaching is a team effort. The same is true of the New Testament, right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord, just after saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, together with the mothers, are the teachers of the next generation. And so as we say in our baptismal form, they promise to teach them and have them taught because in Israel too, fathers and mothers are not solo teachers. There are prophets, there are priests, there's kings, there's the local synagogue where they met every Sabbath. But they are the primary teachers of their children and making sure that their children get taught the faith or are taught that they teach the faith and they get taught the faith. That they surround them with the teachings of God's word. Fathers together with mothers. And so dads and moms spend time at home with their children in the word of God. And they also use the teaching moments that they have in the vehicle. And in the playroom. And at the dinner table. And at the soccer game. And in the barn, and on the tractor, and at the computer, teaching. Family life, brothers and sisters, is full of instruction and teaching moments in both formal and informal ways. The thing is that we have to see this is our calling at every moment. We're the teachers, and also the father and the mother. Teach their children that they're part of a larger covenant community. And they, as their primary teachers, bring them to church to be taught. Bring them to church to gather with the congregation to to know the community in which God has placed them. And they bring them to church to hear the word of the Lord under the faith leaders the Holy Spirit has put in the community. And they bring them to church so that they may be taught to sing God's praises in the midst of their brothers and sisters in the midst of the Holy Assembly. Teachers. So moms and dads, how are we doing with teaching our children? And you might say, well, I don't have a degree. Doesn't take a Ph.D., takes an unrelenting, unflinching conviction that the Bible is true. God is real. He's the only Savior. And this is the greatest need in your child's life. And when you have that conviction and all your faltering and stammering together as husband and wife, you teach your children the way of the Lord. You get a Bible storybook, a children's Bible storybook. You get a children's catechism and you just start. And you pray, pray, pray that your instruction in the faith and the instruction that you're giving to them from other places in the faith will be blessed. And the Holy Spirit would use that to save them, to regenerate them, to give them faith and to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an automatic thing. God uses our instruction, but it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to actually plant Christ into their hearts and lives. But it also means bringing them to church to have them taught and giving them Christian teachers, whether you homeschool or send them to a Christian school. How are we doing with that? Do you stay home easily from the church of God, from worship? Do you allow your children to stay home easily? Are you teaching them that lukewarm is good enough? You're not going to raise a faithful generation that way. Let's raise them with conviction, with diligence, with zeal, with energy. So we want them to be faithful. And you say, well, I, I have messed up so badly. You know, with this God, there's always room for forgiveness and a new start. You may be in your 60s and think, I have messed up so badly. Today can be the day that you start to tell your children just how important the Lord is if you feel you've not done that so far. Oh, fathers, together with mothers, you are the primary teacher in your children's lives. Jesus is enough for you to do this. Fathers, bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That doesn't just mean about the Lord. But by the Lord's power. Jesus is enough for you. To forgive your failures. But also to fill you with your spirit. To enable you to do this task. Weaver and Leanne know. My wife and I know. You all know. That often. As our children's teachers. We do not do so well. But there's always Grace. To go forward in new strength, in the forgiveness of sins and grace, to be God's instruments in the lives of our children. Let's take this call seriously. Now, secondly, what's the story that must be told? Verse 4 We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation, what? The glorious deeds of the Lord, one. And his might, two. And the wonders that he has done. And that really summarizes the teaching of Asaph in Psalm 78. Which tells us about the God who saves Israel through wonderful miracles and mighty deeds. And it starts to list them, the crossing of the Red Sea, the ten plagues, the miracles in the wilderness, water from the rock, bread dropping down from heaven, quail being blown in with the wind, a cloud to lead them by day, a pillar of fire by night. And then the driving out of the nations from before them when they got to the promised land after allowing them to cross the Jordan. What a God. What a great God. That's the best story anybody could ever tell, share, give to anyone. And you know how the story ends in Psalm 78? And finally God brings them to the shepherd David. It's like a celebration of their new king. It's not just a story of God's faithfulness, Psalm 78. There's a lot of bad stuff, in Psalm 78. It's also a story of the unfaithfulness of Israel. How God does so much good for them, and they praise him, and then they turn around and forget him, and they say, I don't need you, God, I'm too busy. I found a better God. There's more important stuff in life right now than you. I'll get to you later, God. And so God would punish them as his children in order to bring them to repentance and draw them back. And every time they would repent and return, what would he do? Take them back. Forgive them. Restore them. Bless them again. And they would praise him. And then they would turn their backs on him. And he would punish them and he would discipline them and bring them to repentance. And they would call on his name and he would take them back again. And when Asaph calls this story a parable and dark sayings, he doesn't mean a terrible story, dark sayings. Dark sayings means mysterious story. The story that we have to tell is a mysterious story. Amazing mystery of how God keeps loving his people who are so prone to wander and leave the God who has so loved them. That's what's amazing about it. And through all the wickedness and the rebellion and the unfaithfulness, he still brings them to David. And the story goes on he still brings us to David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at Israel's history from Abraham, 2,000 years to Jesus, you say, how could it be that God is still with that people that so turned their backs on him so many times? And yet he finally sent them his son, And then when his son came, did they say, yay, David's son has come. No, they wickedly arrested him, tried him, and murdered him. And yet even in the midst of that, God took his death as a sin offering and raised him up as the author of life so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is an amazing Irresistibly great story, the greatest story there ever was. And Jacob needs to learn, and we all need to learn our part in this story is to say, Lord, I'm the rebel. You're the Savior. Come to me save me and make me part of your story of rescue. And no matter where you're at in your life today, even if right now you are far away from the Lord and you're living in rebellion and you've turned your back on God and you really don't want him to have any part of your life, you're too proud to bow the knee and to humble yourself. If you turn to the Lord, he will have mercy on you. It's a story of mercy, of God's faithfulness to his children. We need that story. And because it's a story of God saving sinners through Christ, the son of David, faithfulness of God in the midst of the unfaithfulness of his people, That story is accessible to all of us. And whoever believes, God brings you into his story and saves you. Oh, let's teach that story diligently to our children. Day and night. And with a four-generation perspective. Remember how there are four generations here in this passage. Look at verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, generation one, to teach their children, generation two, that the next generation might know them, generation three, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, fourth generation. That means Webern and Leanne, their children, Jacob. And Ryan and Jonathan and Matthew, and then their children, so Weber and Leanne's grandchildren, and then their children after that. We're talking Weber and Leanne's great grandchildren. We tell the story with a four generation perspective, which is a dim reflection of our God who has a thousand generation perspective. That this keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. Every new generation is a transitional generation. Don't let it stop with you and condemn your children to damnation by hiding from them the deeds of the Lord, the great story. So they're left to go their own way. It's never just about what's my personal decision not to believe in God. It's a decision that will haunt your household unless God powerfully intervenes for generations to come. But also the commitment to tell the story because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe the story in your own heart and you've personalized it and this God is your God and you cannot not share him. The blessing for generations to come. That's our focus. That's our perspective. A long-term view The story. Many Christians in our day are rejecting the story and caving in to the false gospel of the woke. They're falling prey to false stories like evolutionism, gay theology which is a radical rereading and twisting of scripture to serve our own lusts and agendas and opinions, to follow the culture rather than the Christ. And polytheism, that Jesus is just one way to God, but there's many ways to get to him. So you might choose a different way and that's fine. Many are falling down before the idols of our time and throwing away the story. This story, this testimony he established in Israel, this law, this Torah, this teaching is inspired, it's infallible, it endures forever. And it is the immovable rock on which to build your life and your household, people of God. Do not stray from this story and do not fall prey to false narratives. I know some people will praise you when you give into the false narrative. But you being praised for accepting the lie, what... What value is that except maybe just a short-term relief from those who are fighting you? It's a story of Christ. There is no other story that saves, that builds and brings you to glory Not a story of a faithful God who saves sinners through Christ his son Well, what's the point? What's the point of telling the story? Well, as we said in the beginning, God's solution to the problem, God's solution to the problem of rebellion is parents tell their children so that they might put their hope in God. Here's the point. Look at verse 6. That the next generation might know them, the deeds of God, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, verse 7 is the key, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Here's the point. that our children should set their hope in God, that our grandchildren should set their hope in God. So glad to see Grandma Jenny, Grandma and Grandpa Harry and Evelyn here, because they too are part of pressing this story upon their grandchildren. It's an important privilege and blessing but for the whole covenant community. We've made vows to support one another in bringing the children of the congregation to this point where they put their hope in God. our children not put their confidence in the idols of this world. That they not look for their happiness and peace and safety in their talents or works nor in their money or pleasure, nor in government programs or insurance policies, not in sex, not in drugs, not in alcohol, but to look for their happiness, peace, and safety in God, to hope in Him. Hope here means put your confidence in. Rely on Him alone. And that's our dream, our goal, and our prayer for Jacob and all our children that they will seek refuge in the living God, that they will run to Jesus Christ for his safety, they will prize Jesus as their true and only joy and dedicate their lives to serving him, whether as missionaries close to home or far away, or as farmers, or as teachers, or as excavators, that they prize the Lord They not forget him, but they keep his commandments. That they devote their lives to this only God, who has saved them, so that they could live for Him, for His glory. That's the point. Think of what Paul says to Timothy: Continue in the things that you've learned and from whom you've learned. And Lois and Eunice, his mom and grandma. In that case, Dad was not a believer. Knowing that from infancy you've learned the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. From infancy you've learned the Holy Scriptures. And why do you learn them? Because they make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point. Sometimes we do our job or try to do it, teach our children, but we forget the goal. Well, I... Want to teach my children the Bible so he doesn't look so dumb in class. So he can be a decent and moral kid. So he fits well in a properly socialized Christian setting. It's like cultural Christianity. No. These goals are far too low that they might set their hope in God. And not forget him, but keep his commands. That they lean humbly on the Lord as a sinner in need of a savior, a wanderer in need of a home, and a weakling in need of strength. And that's why in all our parenting, we need to keep our eyes on the prize of godly children who walk in the ways of the Lord. It doesn't matter if they're smart, athletic, rich, popular, or famous. It doesn't even matter if they're healthy. I just want them to hope in God. I just want them to trust in Jesus and live for him. Our lips shall tell them to their sons and they again to theirs that generations yet unborn may teach them to their heirs. Thus shall they learn in God alone their hope securely stands that they may not forget his works but practice his commands. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for giving us the story of Jesus Christ and the scriptures. Thank you for giving that story to us. Putting it in our hearts and making us teachers of that story to the next generation. You want us to go out in mission and down in the generations. Give us strength to be faithful to this calling. And then use us Lord to reach into our children's lives. So that they might rise up as a generation that hopes in God and teach their children, and they may teach their children the generation yet unborn. Oh, we pray that you will accomplish this great and glorious work as a gracious God to weak saints and accomplish that through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.